The following audio is from Morningstar Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio. For more information about Morningstar, visit morningstardayton.org. Man, what a great time of worship this morning. And once again, I want to thank you for being here today. And today we're going to be in the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 16. And uh, we'll get there here in just a minute. But I wanted to, again, say thank you to everyone who helped out and made yesterday such a huge success. Bree Cunningham and her team and Mike Oswald and, and his team. It was, it was great. It was so much fun. And you guys put so much work into it. And, um, and I have some scores to settle with some people um, that... Uh, as I was sitting in the dunk tank, especially with our, our senior citizens in our church, um, they, people think they're sweet all the time. I see you back there. I see you. I, I see sending messengers to push the button on me, unbeknownst to me. Oh, it was great. I love you guys, but we're gonna, I'll get even. It's okay. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but it really, it really was a great day. And Again, going back to the, the music that was playing, maybe when you came in a little bit different playlist than what you're normally used to on church on a Sunday morning. This past week on Facebook, on our church's Facebook, we put out there, hey, what's your favorite song of all time and why? And we had a great response. And, and you can still feel free to respond. So I love hearing what people's favorite songs are and why and what the memories are behind that. Some of you, we need to talk about your favorite songs a little bit. And we'll, we'll I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Um, but I'm not. Um, but it was really interesting reading through those and seeing what those were and, and, uh, and watching that because songs, it's, it's amazing how songs can bring up memories, isn't it? Like there's something that ties a song with a memory and we, you can't help it by the way, that's the way you're wired. I don't know if you know that. But going through maybe certain stages of life or maybe when something happens and you might hear a song and all of a sudden that song becomes part of you, doesn't it? It's like, and when you hear that song, immediately you're able to go back in your mind to whatever situation was going on at that time. And then it's also crazy how when the song brings up a memory, it brings up, the memories bring up emotions. Like it's not just that you get to relive that moment, it's not just that you can remember that, but it also brings out some emotions. And maybe it's a happy emotion, maybe it's a sad, maybe it's an angry emotion uh, for some of you. But Manny and I, I guarantee you, everybody here who's married this morning, you and your sweetheart have a song, don't you? That's yours, don't lie, you do. You know, you don't have to be spiritual this morning, it's okay. We, you have a song. And I promise you, it's not holy, 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 okay, that you're in your special song with your person or, okay. You have a song that you heard while you were dating or while you were engaged or maybe you had played at your wedding. Manny and I have one, and it's actually, our song is Can't Take My Eyes Off You by Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, all right? Some of you guys didn't know I knew songs that were that old. I do. It would shock you how many songs I actually know, but that's ours. And I'm not going to sing it for you because I don't want to like you to get up and walk out, but that's ours. Like, can't take my eyes off you. You're too good to be true, right? It's a, it's a special song for Manny and I. There's another one that's called Fishing in the Dark and uh, like going down the river making fishing and spending time with each other. And we, we like that one. But I, if I start singing, can't take my eyes off of you, Manny will start smiling, mainly because I am a horrible singer. But she just knows, like that's just, it's our song. And, and there's a way to bring, and when we hear that song, we're immediately we go back when we were dating because that song came out, or didn't come out, but it was in a movie while we were dating. And we, that's the first time we heard that. We weren't dating that long ago, I promise. But don't laugh at me, Katie. I know what I'm saying, all right? <laughs> So, but you know that. And so, and in fact, any song that came out between like 1997 and 2000, I can hear a certain song and immediately I'm back dating Mandy. I can remember that. And, and it's funny how that works, isn't it? And I, and I promise you, you probably have the same thing too. But there's some favorite songs of mine that definitely bring up some emotions. 
and, and memories along with it. And uh, anytime a song by Alabama comes on, um, it's, I know I'm from Texas, don't judge me. So anyway, um, like especially the one that says, I'm in a hurry, that song, or the one by Alabama called Reckless, like let's roll the windows down, turn the radio up. And, and uh, so when I hear those songs, here's what it takes me back to. Those songs came out in 1992 and 1993, respectively. And during that time, my dad and I, that was uh, the end of my eighth grade, in my middle school, going into my high school years. And that's when I was spending a lot of time hunting with my dad. And so what we would do is we would go stay at the camp and we would get up early in the morning before the sun came up. We would load up the truck and we would drive from our camp to the Dearlies and he would have on the radio and those songs came up. So when I hear those songs, immediately I'm back in the truck with my dad. And, and I miss spending that time with my dad. I miss hunting with him and, and doing that and being able to see him as much. And so those songs just bring back memories and those memories produce an emotion. Does that make sense? And the same thing happens for you. There's another one called Letters from Home that came out in February 2004. Well, I started the police academy in January 2004, and that song, Letters from Home, talks about some soldiers who were deployed reading letters from their family members and their loved ones from back home and how that stirred up emotions in them as they read those letters. And there's a statement in that song that says, we laugh like, our, like we're not scared and our boots aren't muddy. And, but yet then it goes on and says, but I pick up my gun and I get back to work. And I wasn't deployed, but I was training to do things that I hoped I'd never have to do. And then even after I got out of the academy and I, for the next almost decade serving as a police officer, that song, that line, that pick up my gun and get back to work, it resonates with me because I had to just keep going, right? I had to keep doing things even though I dealt with things I didn't want to and experiencing I didn't want to, I, I had a job to do. And so that, that stirs up emotions for me every time I hear that song. And we, can, I mean, we could go on and on. I'm not going to bore you with the songs for me, but singing songs and hearing songs have a way about bringing out emotions, and we're talking about hope this morning. And in Acts chapter 16, I want to set the background for this passage because we're looking at the Apostle Paul, and he's on his second missionary journey. And on the second one, he really wanted to go into Asia, but God stopped him from going to Asia. God actually wanted him to go to Europe, going to Macedonia. And so it kind of threw a wrench in Paul's plans. But here, where we pick up this story, he's in, he's in Europe. In fact, he's in a town called Philippi. And Paul had already been stoned once. On his first missionary journey, they stoned him, and they thought he was dead, so they left him for dead, but he wasn't dead. He was just knocked unconscious. And so he, he understood this. In fact, on his first missionary journey other places, they had people, certain people had plotted to kill him, but he found out about the plots, and he was able to escape. So now he's on his second missionary journey, which, man, go back to do this all over again. This guy's pretty brave, but Paul obeys God, and he goes to Europe, and the first town he comes to is a town called Philippi. And it's the first day of the week, and so he goes down to a riverbank as soon as he gets into town. And in this river, on this riverbank, there's a group of women who most of them were Jews. One of them was a Jewish convert, which means that she was a Gentile, but she had converted to Judaism. And they're down at this riverbank, and they've gathered together, these women. They're praying, and they're encouraging one another. There's no synagogue in Philippi, so there's no place for Jews to meet because it's not a Jewish city. In fact, not to bore you with history, but Philippi was set up as a city for Roman soldiers when they retired from their, their forced military duty, were able to go and they settled. It was like a city given to soldiers so they could live there and raise families. And that, so it wasn't a Jewish city, a very small Jewish population. But it's very interesting that there was still a group of women, Jewish women, who met down at the riverbank to go pray and encourage one another. And it says a lot. One, it says that the Jewish population is very small, but it also reveals that the Jewish population that was there 
they weren't really all that devout in practicing their, their faith because there were no men. It was just women. So the, the people who were there who were Jewish, they weren't really all that into worshiping God anymore anyway, except for this very small group of women. So Paul goes down there and he meets this woman named Lydia, who's the Jewish convert who became a Jew, but she was born a Gentile. And Paul is, listen, I love this. Okay, so just bear with me this morning because I'm really excited about this passage. But the problem is that the cool thing is that Paul gets there and he breaks all kinds of cultural barriers just like Jesus did because he's a man and he's a very religious man. In fact, Paul calls himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, which means nothing to a lot of us, but what it means is he liked to keep all the rules and all the standards and all of that kind of stuff. And for him to go talk to a woman was, who he didn't know and wasn't related to was kind of a taboo thing to do. And not just that, but he was talking to a woman who wasn't born a Jew, but she converted to Judaism, which like dropped her even lower on the totem pole when it comes to social status. And yet Jesus goes, Paul goes up to her and starts talking to her. And he starts this relationship with her and starts talking to her about Jesus. And she actually becomes a Christian. She gives her life to Jesus Christ, which is a good thing because she's very wealthy. And Paul's going to need some support on this journey. And so he goes back to Lydia's house and the church starts right there in Lydia's house in Philippi. And it's an amazing story. You can read uh, on your own there in Acts chapter 16. But when we get to verse 16 of this passage, we see something kind of change here in Philippi a little bit. Verse 16 says, once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit of prediction and made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. And as she was following, as she followed Paul and, and us, she cried out, These men are the slaves or servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. Now, she's a demon-possessed little girl, and she's not saying that to be supportive of Paul and his ministry, okay? She's not like, hey, if you want to stop. It's a mocking thing. She's making fun of them. The demon possession is making fun of Paul and, and Silas and his group. And it says, but Paul was greatly aggravated. And turning to the spirit said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came, it came out right away. And when her owners saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Verse 20, and bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city and they are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. Then the mob joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. So basically the idea is this. There's this little slave girl who is owned by two men. who She's possessed by a demon who actually allows her to, to tell fortunes. Now we know she, Satan and his demons can't tell the future, but just like today, she's able to tell fortunes, basically telling people about themselves, which makes people marvel. Oh, my goodness, how would you know that? And it made these guys money. Made him very wealthy. And Paul comes along, the girl's bothering Paul, and so Paul casts out the demon. Well, now she can't do that anymore. And these guys are mad, so they grab Paul and Silas, and they drag her, they drag those two before the magistrates in the city, and they're able to work up the entire city into a mob frenzy against two guys. And at first, as I'm reading this passage, I'm like, how did these two guys work up an entire city into a frenzy? I was like, how is that even possible? Then I remembered everything goes on in our country today, how easy it is to work people up into frenzies about some of the craziest, stupidest things. And these guys go and they stir up the city, but here's how it was so easy for them. Remember, Philippi is a Roman city. And the Jews were known, that lived in Israel, were known for their rebellions against Rome. And when they would cause a revolt or a rebellion, Rome would come in 
and they would crush whatever city that this rebellion started and they would just level it to the ground and kill lots of people, do a lot of damage. And so now in Philippi, this is a Roman city and there's, they call them Jews. They know they're Jews and they bring them before, hey, look, these Jews, they're gonna, we don't want that trouble here. Like we enjoy our lifestyle. We enjoy the freedom we have from Rome. We're just trying to be, live our retirement out as soldiers and we like the money we're making. So we don't want you, we don't want Rome having to come in here and quash a rebellion. And these guys are known for rebellions because they're Jews. So that's why it's really easy for these guys to work the city up. Everybody kind of following so far? Why it's easy for them to turn a whole city against two Jews. Not just turn against them, but they beat them. Look in verse 23. It says, after they threw them, excuse me, go back to 22, the mob joining the attack, stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. Verse 24 says, receiving such an order, he put them in the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. Now, we're, we're told that they're beating, beaten with rods, and there's two different kinds of rods they could have been beaten with. One is just a long, straight stick which would hurt, don't get me wrong, it would be very painful because they would have a trained professional who would have two hands on this thing and almost like a baseball bat would inflict blows on their back, on their bare back. There's another kind of rod that could be used. And it's the same kind of rod, but on this rod they would take the end and they would split the end where when they would hit somebody with this rod, those splits would kind of fan out and then they would close back up together which would pinch skin between it and then the rod master would then pull it back which would rip off pieces of flesh. We're not told exactly which, now trust me, both of them are bad, but we're not told exactly which one they used, but we kind of can infer later on when it says that they had to dress their wounds, that because they had open wounds, that more than likely it was the rod that was split, so when they hit and struck and pulled back, it caused a little more damage. But either way, it's not a pleasant thing to go through. They beat them, and in fact, people were known for, to die from their floggings. It laid their backs open. And where the whack wasn't laid open, it caused welts and bruises on the back, on their back, and on the tops of their legs. And then they threw them into the inner prison, which would be that part of prison that's underground. It's not like they're up in this little building, it's got a window, and they're underground. The inner prison is the dungeon, it's underground. And if that wasn't bad enough, it says they put them in chains and stocks. And the chains would have had a it would have had a little ring that was attached to the wall. And they would have bound their hands, taken the chain, attached it to the, the, the shackles, run it through the chain on the wall, shackled up their feet, and pulled it tight in such a way where they couldn't stretch out, where they couldn't work their muscles out, where they couldn't get comfortable. And I want to make sure that we don't read these two verses, those two verses, too quickly. Because here's what happens for us. We read those two verses, and it reads really fast. I mean, check this out. We're like, um, verse 22, the mob joined the attack. They stripped their clothes off, ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them in the jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. We read those two verses and we're like, oh. Because it doesn't take us less than 10 seconds to read two verses. But those, those two short verses for us, but for Paul and Silas's life experience, at that moment lasted a lot longer than us reading those two verses. Does that make sense? Like we, got it, we can't forget that there are two people who were really beaten and were really beaten severely and really thrown in a dungeon. We have the ability to skip ahead and read the rest of that passage. Oh, it turns out okay. They didn't have that luxury. Like they didn't have the little guidebook for their life going, okay, this really stinks. Um, but chapter 17's coming, so I'm good. Like they didn't know that. 
Do you realize that? They didn't know the end of the story. All they knew was the moment in time that they were experiencing at that moment. Just like right now, you only know for your life, the only part of your life you know is that you're sitting here right now. You don't know when you leave, leave here, do you? You don't know when you get home what's gonna be waiting for you. You don't know tomorrow what's gonna happen and neither did Paul and Silas. They had no idea if they were gonna die that night from their injuries. They had no idea that night if an infection was gonna seep in to their back on the open wound. They had no idea if the mob would break in the jail and kill them, which happened a lot. They didn't know if they were gonna be held until the morning and then drugged back out and executed. They had no idea. So let's not read this as if we know the end either. Let's not read this as if we have the luxury of turning the page because they didn't that night. They're just chained up. They're facing a long night of hopelessness, of fear and pain and misery and uncertainty. Not to mention the fact that Paul and his mind might be thinking, this is not even where I'm supposed to be right now. Like I wanted to go to Asia and now I'm in Europe. And the possibility that he probably felt like a failure, like he had done something wrong. Like was, did he misread God's call that night in Troas when God called him and said, no, I want you to go to Europe. Like did he really understand God right? Maybe he made a mistake. Maybe he wasn't supposed to actually go here. Maybe God wanted him to go somewhere else. And on top of all that, Paul had been mistreated by the Jews. I mean, the guy, they stoned the guy for crying out loud. They, they, they left him for dead. He knew the Jews hated him. But this was the first time that he'd been mistreated by the Gentiles. This was new for him. But I want you to look, in the middle of all that, we have a hopeless night. We have a night of pain, a, light, a night of misery, a night of uncertainty, a night of we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen the next hour. But look in verse 25. I want you to see this. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I love that verse. You might want to underline that. You might want to mark that verse because what I love, in the middle of all this hopelessness, of the fear, the pain, the misery, the uncertainty, what were they doing? They were doing two things. One, they were praying to God. And we don't know their prayer, but I can just tell you, if you read the rest of Paul's writings, I guarantee you Paul's prayer was not like probably what some of our prayer might have been. Oh God, please deliver me from this. Paul's prayer was more than likely knowing him was something of God. How can you use us in this moment? But they were praying to God. They were talking to God. And they were singing. They were singing. And I love that. There were songs that were there that night. In the middle of this dungeon, there were songs. And actually in the Bible, there's over 185 songs that are listed in the Bible. And we're not told what songs Paul and Silas were singing that night. Maybe it was one of the psalms from the book of Psalms that they knew by heart. Maybe it was a newer song that the, this brand new church thing that had just started that they were singing um, in their gatherings. We don't know. We're not told, but they were singing. The longest song in the Bible is Psalm 119. In the Hebrew, it's over 1,732 words long. The shortest song in the Bible is 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13. It's only seven Hebrew words long. The first song ever recorded in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 15. It's called the Song of Moses. And the very last song recorded in the Bible is Revelation chapter 15, and it's also the Song of Moses. I think it's amazing, but it's a different sermon for a different time. But where did these songs come from that they were singing? Let me read this to you, because this is, this is crazy. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. 
Paul says five times, I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one because the, that means 39 lashes because usually on the 40th lash, it was thought that that was like too far because they might actually die. Verse 25 says, three times I was beaten with rods. This is one of them we just read in Acts chapter 16. He says, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the depths of the sea, which means not only was he shipwrecked, but there was one time he just floated for a whole day and a whole night by himself in the ocean. On frequent journeys, um, I, I face dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers on the sea and dangers among false brothers, labor and hardships, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and lacking clothing. Paul in 2 Corinthians kind of gives us a rundown of some of the things he's experienced on his missionary journeys. And as you read that, you're like, man. So how in the world was this guy singing? How in the world, the guy who is just beaten, his back is laid open, he's in stocks, he doesn't know what the night's gonna hold. How in the world is this guy singing? Like where did these songs come from? Not who wrote them and when were they written, but how did he find the strength to sing these songs? Was he some kind of Superman? Like, was he just like unstoppable? Was he the toughest guy that ever lived? No. But the songs came from somewhere, didn't they? Then where? Psalm chapter 40, in the 40th Psalm, David tells us where his songs come from. In Psalm chapter 40, verse 1, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. Get this, verse three. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. How happy is the man who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. Lord, my God, you have done many things. Your wonderful works and your plans for us, none can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, they are more than can even be told. David said, the Lord put a song in my mouth. We started off talking about how hearing songs can stir emotion. But there's something different about this passage. Paul did not hear a song that led to hope. I want you to get this. Paul did not hear a song that led him to hope that night. It was the hope inside Paul that led to a song. It was the hope of Christ living in him that led to a song. This was not an emotional thing for Paul. This was not, hey, I'm gonna hear a song right now. It's gonna, it's gonna lead to, to hope. It was hope that led to a song. And that's huge. Because we all have dark moments. We all have seasons of pain and of hurt and of heartache and longing, seasons of regret and seasons of worry. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to be just very open and transparent this morning. I'm not immune to that. There have been some very dark times and very dark seasons in my life. There have been some dungeon moments in my life where it was hopeless for me, where it was frustrating, where it was uncertain there have been times that I have found myself there in these places of darkness in my life, and sometimes because of my own dumb choices, but sometimes because of nothing I had any control over. 
And in those moments, God put a song in my heart. Songs that maybe I'd heard in the past, but God used these songs to bring, to be an expression of the hope that was already in me. And maybe you've had some of those as well. Maybe you can relate with me this morning, and I'm sure you can because we're all human, we've all been there, but there's been some very dark nights in my life. Just like you, there's been some nights in my life where I can't sleep, where my brain just will not shut off. There's been some very dark seasons in my life where sometimes, again, because I placed myself there were some dumb choices, but sometimes because I had no control over it at all and just wanting and begging for this moment to end. Wanting to know with everything in me what's around the corner. Wanting to know everything in me, how's this going to work out? Wanting to know everything in me, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to make it better? What's going to happen? There's been some seasons of pain in my life and some just gut-wrenching, heart-breaking pain that I don't like and you don't like either. There's been some times where I'm in the dungeon. I'm chained up emotionally. I'm chained up just spiritually. It's me that's down there. And I know, just like you, we have those seasons. And just like you and I share these seasons, listen, God has used songs in my life that to be an expression of the hope that lies in me to remind me sometimes of the hope that lies in me. One of mine is the song we sang this morning. It is well. I love the older version. I love the version we sang this morning. It is well. And I've had to hear that so many times in my life. What I love about that song is the, the part that says, let go my soul and trust in him because the wind and the waves still know his name. And that's huge for me. Because I get in those moments where I, I can't fix it. I can't make it right. And in and, and these moments, these dark seasons in my life where God has used this to be an expression of the hope that lives in me, it's as if God is saying, I don't need you to fix it. <laughs> the waves and the wind know my name. They don't know your name, John. I got this. I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to let go. And God uses this song to remind me that he is in control. And as that song comes to my heart in these dark seasons of my life, it's an expression of my hope, and I find myself singing this song over and over again. The waves and wind know his name. The waves and wind know his name. And those, I don't have to hold on to this. God's got it. And one of the big ones in my life as well is an, it's an old gospel song that says, Hold on, my child, for joy comes in the morning. And it says, weeping only lasts for the night, but the joy comes in the morning. It's a quotation from Psalm chapter 30, verse 5. Where there's things and there's pain in my life, and I, I'm like, I can't hold on. I can't go any further. I can't take another step. I can't go another night without sleep. I can't go another day knowing what pain is in my life. I can't go another day with the uncertainty. I can't go another day with the brokenness. I cannot endure one more moment. Can you relate to that? Have you been there? Like there's no strength in me to get up. There's no strength in me to get out of bed. There's no strength in me to do anything. I can't do it. 
And God uses this song from my life to end up being an expression of hope for me when God says, God, I just need you to hold on. Like there's joy, it's coming, it's coming, it's around the corner. Like they're coming in the morning, the dungeon is dark, the pain is real, the future is uncertain, but just hold on. Just hold on. Joy's coming. I remember working third shift as a police officer and I had so many nights. I couldn't wait. I was begging God for the sun to come up. She couldn't handle it. So much would go on in the night and I was just spent, broken. And maybe you are there spiritually this morning. Spent. I got nothing. Hold on. Because joy's coming. Hold on. And Paul and Silas are in this dungeon. And God gives them a song. That's an expression of the hope that's in them. God has given songs in my life that I'm sure that some of you have as well that help you through the dark seasons in your life. And I'm going to encourage you today, if you know that song that maybe God has given you, that has been an expression of hope in your life, write it right there in the margin of your Bible, right there where Paul inside says they sang at midnight. As a great reminder, because I promise you these dark seasons are coming again. Dark times are coming. Hard times are coming. We can't avoid it. We're, we live in a fallen, broken world, and we're fallen, broken people. And I'm going to encourage you, if you got that, write it down. But it'll be a reminder to you that it's an expression of the hope that lies in you. Because maybe some of you this morning, you're in a season of darkness. You're in a season of hopelessness today. I want to tell you this morning, there is hope. And God has an outpouring of hope that lives in you in a song. Instead of stirring emotions, the song we have as believers is an outpouring of the hope that's already in us. And sometimes we forget that. We look everywhere else for the fixing of the problems. We look everywhere else for the relief, for the pain. And God's like, there's hope that lives in you. And there's a song as an outpouring of that hope. That we don't listen to songs as a stirring of our emotions. As believers in Jesus Christ, there's a song that comes out. Because there's a hope that's in us. Look in verse 26. It says, suddenly there was a violent earthquake. That the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. And when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because all of us are here. Then the jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he escorted them out and said, Sirs, must, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, Believe on the, on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And right away he and his family were baptized. And he brought them up into his house and set a meal before them. And rejoice because he had believed God with all of his household. What an amazing passage of hope. And that's why I didn't want us to read through those two verses of them being beaten and thrown into prison too fast because they didn't know the end of this story. 
But in spite of the dungeon and in spite of the change and in spite of the scars and the wounds, they focused on their hope. And the hope came out. And when the hope came out, others were impacted. You don't know, but the dungeon you're in right now, or the dungeon you just got out of, somebody else might be passing that way. You don't know the darkness that you're in right now. Somebody might be searching tirelessly for the light. And you and I have it. There's three things I just want us to take away this morning from this is this. Number one, your darkest moments don't have to be the end. Your darkest moments don't have to be the end. Why is that? Because we have something greater than frustration. We have something greater than stress. We have something greater than than danger, greater than hopelessness. We have something greater than abuse, greater than worry, greater than anything else living inside of us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. It's in us. The hope and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is inside of us. The darkest moments don't have to be the end. Can I say this this morning? What what happened to you or what is happening to you right now cannot be undone. I wish we could just come and just take whatever it is, whatever dungeon you're in, whatever emotional pain you're in, whatever's going on in your life, I wish that we could just go like this and it's all gone, but we can't. It cannot be undone. But it can be overcome. It cannot be undone, but it can be overcome through Jesus Christ. And if you know the Savior this morning, if you have a relationship with him, he's already nailed it to the cross. While we can't undo it, he overcomes it. Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have problems, but be of good cheer. Be courageous because I have overcome the world. Nothing that Paul and Silas was going to go through that night was going to be too strong for the power of Jesus Christ. Nothing that you go, on, go through in your life will ever be stronger than the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I get it. It's too difficult for me. It's too hard for me. It's too impossible for me. There's two amazing words in the Bible. But God. I was dead in my trespasses of sin, but God, who is rich in mercy, has made me alive in Jesus Christ. I'm hurting and I'm broken and I'm uncertain and I'm stressed and I'm worried and I'm not sleeping, but God, but God. See, it's not just powerful for salvation to get you out of hell. It's also the strength and the power that we live in every day of our life until he either calls us home or he comes back to get us. I'm going to find my hope in Jesus. Number one, your darkest moments don't have to be the end. Number two, dark seasons don't define you. God does. Dark seasons, dark moments don't define you. God does. Why? Because we're made in his image. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, he says we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece created unto Christ Jesus. We are his masterpiece. We are made in the image of God. This moment in Paul's life, some would look and say, it's a failure. Paul would say, it was painful. It's who I am now, and I'm scarred up. But it didn't define him. What defined him was that he was made in the image of God and that he was created in the Christ Jesus for good works. We are his masterpiece. The third thing and the final thing this morning is this. One, your darkest moments don't have to be the end. Number two, dark seasons and dark moments don't define you. God does. And number three, choose hopelessness or hope. Choose hopelessness or hope. 
What are you choosing to hold on to? In your dark moment, in your dark season, what are you holding on to? What are you focusing on? Are you focusing on the chains more than you are Christ? Are you focusing more on the hopeless than the hope? Paul could have easily that night because he couldn't stretch out because he was bound up. Laying on the floor of that dungeon could have just looked at the chains and focused on the chains. But instead he focused on Christ that was living in him. We can't make all the problems go away. That would be wonderful. But we have an answer for hope. And the hope is Christ living in you. And maybe this morning, there's some of you here this morning that you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Again, it doesn't make all your problems go away. But it gives you hope that he loves you, that you have a home in heaven, that now your life has purpose and meaning. And you have a relationship with Jesus, a God that loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And maybe this morning you've never done that. I would love this morning to be able to show you how you can focus on Christ instead of the chains that bind you. Because something happens. Chains become unchained. Prison walls shake. Doors bust open. And lives are changed because of hope. Believer this morning... Have you lost control of your hope? Have you grabbed on to other things and kind of lost sight of the hope that's living in you? This morning we could focus back on the cross and Jesus Christ because there is hope. Let me have you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you have any questions about Morningstar Baptist Church or today's message, visit morningstardayton.org and choose Contact Us.